The body is a physical link between ourselves, our souls, and the outside world. It is the medium through which we most directly project ourselves in social life. Our use and presentation of it say precise things about the society in which we live. The degree of our integration within that society and the controls which society exerts over the inner man. Victoria Eben, The Decorated Body. My name is Jason Jan Uluhern Brangaran. I am a fine artist, tattoo artist, body piercer, and scarification artist. I have been involved in the body modification industry since the mid-90s. I have been modifying myself since early childhood. I am Teresa Fedra Ann Brangaran, otherwise known as T, which is much easier to remember. I am a tattoo artist, a piercer, scarification artist, photographer, and I have a bachelor's in anthropology specifically focused on body modification practices across cultures. Now you designed that degree, the way your college worked, you actually designed that degree to specify not just around body modification, but specifically body modification in relation to cultural and tribal practices? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I still think it's the coolest thing to this day. I, I love that. <laughs> so I should probably say about how I got here because it's, it's a strange thing how we get to where we are, and it's not a straight line at all. Oh, let's see. I started modifying myself in childhood. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I have hemophilia. Uh, I have also, unfortunately, have encountered uh, some problems and situations in my life that have led to some serious trauma, and I'm a survivor of that trauma. I started modifying myself when I was younger. I think just looking around at my group, for some reason in my mind, it didn't make sense that my tribe wouldn't be, and I say tribe, I mean my immediate family unit and friends, and it didn't make sense to me that people wouldn't decorate their bodies, Especially in contrast to what I was seeing in magazines like National Geographic. And they'd have these different tribal groups. And all I could think was how beautiful those adornments were. How very special that seemed. And how cohesive those units seemed. Because everybody had these things in common. I had no exposure to this except for an uncle who had a very strange tattoo from Vietnam that was supposed to, I guess, be an eagle, and it always looked like an eagle without a face. It was just, it was, a, it had no beak or something. It was very strange. And I'm sure it's a, I'm almost 100% positive at this point it's a military logo. But as a child, I just didn't understand why that would be there, but I also loved the idea that he had this modification. And I was more concerned that the rest of the group didn't have this modification. So as a kid, I, you know, I think a lot of people, especially my age, we uh, there was still that remnants left over from like the romanticized idea about the cowboys versus the Indians type stuff. And as a kid, you know, you'd play cowboys and Indians, and I always wanted to be an Indian because the cowboys looked really boring. You know, there was there. I mean, yeah, you got spurs and stuff, but you don't have war paint, you don't have feathers, <laughs> so you can't be that cool. And so, I remember. I would go and sneak into my grandmother's jewelry box. My grandmother didn't have pierced ears. She never wore jewelry. And so she had all these clip-on earrings. And I would go upstairs and I'd clip them on the center of my nose and my ears. And I'd put on face paint. And then, you know, my aunts and uncles would ridicule me, think it was funny. And I, all I could think to myself was like, no, this is, this is me decorating myself. This is... Why don't you do this? <laughs> so... 
boring. Don't be boring. Like, I started piercing myself. Uh, let's see. Well, when I, in the mid-80s, when I was in school, I was terribly unhip, which has continued on to this day. <laughs> and I think my parents, in order to help me feel like I could fit in a little bit better, took me to get my ears pierced. Well, correction, took me to get my ear pierced. And uh, they signed for it, and then they walked out of the shop, and this is back in the day, so it was just the piercing pagoda type thing. Not that I would recommend that to anyone now. But, you know, the, the lady came over and said, all right, we're going we're gonna to pierce your ear. And I said, no, 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 I, my parents paid for two. She goes, well, you don't get both your ears pierced, you're a boy. And I'm like, what does that have to do with it? So she pierced both my ears. It took months for my dad to even notice that I had both of them pierced. He'd just see one ear at a time and think that's the ear. Uh, it's weird, weird stuff. And of course, as soon as I did that and I realized what I could do and what was possible, I started to modify myself, which, uh, if, if you're young, if you're 13 and piercing in the eighties, piercing wasn't even a, you know, guys might have an earring. So piercing any part of your body other than that was considered wildly abstract, uh, or it would never entered the mind. And of course I am looking at National Geographic and stuff like that and seeing other modifications and thinking, I could do that. So when I went to see my pediatrician when I was 13, we had a moment. Uh, he went to do the check that if you don't know how this works, if you're a woman, uh, they check to see if you might have uh, some problems with your development or you could be potential at risk for a hernia. And they'll usually put their hand on your genitalia and have you cough. And uh, that was quite a response when my pediatrician put his hand on my genitalia and found jewelry. <laughs> Needed an intervention at that point. I can't even imagine. <laughs> Nor could my parents. That didn't go over well. <laughs> I, I can imagine that. You know, uh, and I'm not recommending that people do this, but I felt such a drive to do it that, and I can't explain it any other way, especially with... You know, being a hemophiliac, you have to infuse your medication. Most people don't know this. You have to infuse, you have to hit a vein. So I've been stuck with needles my entire life. And through the HIV crisis, I get into that at another point in time where that has its additional risks to it. So when you understood how it worked, then you could apply that kind of mechanical knowledge, that understanding to modification. When I was 16, I pierced my septum. Uh, that didn't hold forever. I had to re-pierce it again later, but that's one of those things that I was able to hide it. It was a modification. It made me feel primal, maybe? Uh, more at home in my own skin. When I got to college, I went to the School and Museum of Fine Arts in Tufts University, and I studied medical illustration, and very quickly realized that that degree was going to take an awfully long time and I didn't have the finances, unfortunately, for it. I loved going to school, but I knew after my first year, even though my grades were way above board, I, I would have to leave. And that was brutal for me because I had found a tribe, a group of people. And, you know, at the School of Museum of Fine Arts, any art school, you'll find more open-minded characters. You mean and, Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I like the weirdos. I like them a lot. I like the weirdos, too. I have to do. We, we're both weirdos. <laughs> Um, so I, I remember there was an artist there, Keith Tubilone, I think I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong, who was, he was trans, uh, he was heavily modified, and he looked so friggin' cool. I, I don't know, something about it, he'd walk into a room and I'd look at the, the 
way he'd adorn himself and just thought that was the most beautiful thing. And I wanted to do that. So I got into body piercing in the mid nineties, which was like the golden age of body piercing. Yeah. You know, when, when I became a body piercer, there were only three studios in new England that did it. And we became the fourth. So it was kind of a very strange period in time. Um, I jumped right into it. I pierced, I modified, I did ritual piercing. I was very interested, not only in the idea of people modifying their own bodies, but I wanted to do it in a way that was the most spiritual, the most profound, because it seemed so particularly special that human beings would want to do this, that if you're asked to do it, then you must take something into it that's even more pure and try to give of yourself as much as possible during that experience to help them through the experience like that. The, I didn't have the right terms. Like you understand the terminology well, because you've studied it. And I didn't know what I was saying at the time. But after talking to you, I'm like, oh, that's what I was doing. OK, yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, now. yeah, for sure. So in the mid 90s in Massachusetts, you couldn't be a tattoo artist. It was illegal. Most people don't know this. It wasn't until 2001 that they legalized it. And at the time, you could tattoo underground, of course, and I went through several attempts that I can go on in a later time to become a tattoo artist with some very strange individuals, and some of them had better responses, and some of them, obviously, not so much. Uh, I eventually did become a tattoo artist uh, after having surgery to fix my hands for carpal tunnel issues that are related to the hemophilia. Uh, another time, but I became a tattoo artist and I haven't looked back. The idea that I get to play an important spiritual role in people's modifications is the most fulfilling thing I can imagine in this life Yeah. next to being married to you. <laughs> that's true though. <clears throat> but, you know, that's, that's kind of how I got into it. But your, your approach is a little bit different. Uh, yeah, just uh, just a little bit. Um, I went to Hampshire College um, with the intention. Okay, hold on. Let me rewind just a little bit. I only applied to one college. It was Hampshire College. And the reason that I applied there was because there was no grades. <laughs> because I was 17 and you should not charge a 17 year old with determining the rest of their own future. That being said, the other reason that I wanted to go to Hampshire College is because you could write your own curriculum, essentially, to determine your own path and create your own course of study that could kind of go in any direction. Also, it's part of the five college group out in uh, the Amherst area. So you could also take courses at any of the five colleges and they would count towards your degree. So my 17-year-old self said, I will go to Hampshire and I will study to become a Native American rights advocate because that was what I was most passionate about at that moment in time. Um, When I got to college, I realized I had no idea how I was going to go about that. I also took my first anthropology class and discovered that this was the most amazing thing that I had ever heard of in my life. Um, understanding how and why people do things from a grander cultural across the board kind of level uh, was very exciting. Um, 
the first paper I ever wrote uh, for an anthropology course was about body modification. And I wrote that paper and went, okay, this is going to be my degree now. Um, it was that quick. Maybe a month into school, I determined this is the only thing I'm studying. I really don't care about anything else. Um, That's a wonderful feeling. Right? <laughs> um, so one of the things that I started thinking about uh, when I was taking that first course was how much of what we do in changing our bodies is kind of predicted by human behavior, um, like cultural things that kind of pass through time and space across continents. Um, like I got my ears pierced when I was 12 or 13 and you had to wait though, right? It was, yeah, it was a thing. It was, it was a rite of passage and I was not old enough until I reached whatever age it was, 12 or th- I can never remember. Uh, my sister could not get her ears pierced until that age. So then I absolutely could not get my ears pierced until that age. And then my mother took me to get my ears pierced. And it was because I was considered to be adult enough to take care of them myself. Um, a few years later, when I was 16, I pierced my lip myself. That was a different kind of rite of passage. It was m- not about being included in a group of people. It was being outside of that group of people. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell the full story, I'm sure, at some other time. I'm looking forward to that. That is a good story. But it started I, It started me thinking that, like, we all do these things, but many, mm-hmm. many times we don't recognize that that's what we're doing. Um, and then I became obsessed. Um, as part of my studies, um, because while it is probably not it is not anthropologically acceptable to go native i immediately (laughs) did that um (laughs) um, you're supposed to remain aloof and outside of whatever you're studying but for me studying all of these different groups of people from all 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 areas of the country all of, of the world um and through various periods of time because the the things that I were studying, um, you know, were things that were recorded, you know, as far back as the, you know, 1600s or even earlier, depending, and up to more contemporary anthropological works. Um, I wanted to experience all of the things that I was reading about. So what any 18-year-old does at, at that moment in time is decide that you're going to start bribing your friends to cut you. Because that makes perfect sense. It's totally logical. Um, (laughs) And um, I had a friend um, that um, I had in my mind that I wanted to uh, decorate my arm with a druidic symbol that I had been uh, I had been studying a book on uh, druidry at the time, and there was a symbol called the Three Rays of Awen, which are just three kind of slashes one is straight up and down and the other two are kind of 45 degree angles on either side of that center line almost like a tent but not assembled correct yeah um and i decided i wanted this on my arm so i found a friend bought a scalpel 
sterilized it as best as I could. My father's a dentist, so I knew a lot about sterilization and making sure things were clean. That was probably the only smart thing that I did. Um, I, I do feel like you and I have such similar, because my siblings were not allowed to get their ears pierced until later, and yeah. and uh, both of our families come from medical backgrounds, and you're like, well, they're medical backgrounds, they know better. Yeah, we have that much more knowledge, we, we can get we away can with get, murder. We can do a lot more things without <laughs> harming ourselves as right. much. Um, and, and I was just like, here you go. Let's draw this on, and then you just cut on the lines, right? Pretty easy. Yep. While they were also horrified, they were they went along with it, so what are you going to do? Um, later that year, I bribed another friend of a friend. I made a, a nice leather pouch, and um, and they liked that leather pouch, and I was like, well, you can have it if you cut this design on my back. And they were like, all right. Let's do that. So that was a little bit bigger event because the first one we kind of went into the woods and we did it away from humans and made a little ritual of it. This was kind of a different ritual and it was a little bit more tribal in that there all of my friends were there. Um, there was a, a group of people um, in the lounge at one of my friend's dorm rooms. <laughs> so it was in a public place where anybody could walk by. Um, this pattern was um three sun wheels and a thor's hammer rune um which isn't really a rune but i didn't know that at the time um it's an upside down t it's a tower cross yeah but because i was reading bad wicca books now, there's anything wrong with Wicca, but... Well, this was <laughs> a bad Wicca book. In the 90s, people don't know this, in the 90s, the information you would get in... Uh, it was very limited and often made up. Oh my god, yeah. The the spiritual aspect of the New Age so, in the 90s was wacky. Yeah. So, I had this drawn on my back. Um, friend cut it. We took a paper towel, laid the paper towel over the wound... Somewhere in, in the universe, I actually have an imprint of the, the original design. Wow. Um, and, and that was that. Um, those were pretty important experiences because before that, I had really only... Um, I had pierced myself, and that was it. I hadn't been pierced professionally yet. That would happen later that year. Um, and that would be a different kind of adventure with my sister. Um, but that also got me interested in understanding how these things worked. Um, so for my junior year, I decided I was going to take a semester off and become a body piercer. Um, and the the long story short, this is one of the ways that I originally came in contact with Jay. Yep. And um, <laughs> and and. I became your apprentice. We, we get we get reticent around uh, this discussion because of I, I don't want there to be a uh, <laughs> misconstruence of how that worked out in the end. But yeah, it was uh, it was deep, deep and and significant. I hadn't met too many other people who felt so strongly and on the same mindset about body modification until I met you. And then it became clear to me that not only were there people that I was around who wanted to be modified and desired to do this either themselves or have others do it, but even deeper than that, there were some people out there, specifically you, who were on such a deeper level with it 
that it wasn't just modification for modification. There was a meaning behind it. And immediately, I think, on talking to you, we knew like that yeah. there was something there. It took there. a very long time for us to get to the point we were... Right, that's true. Which was that's probably true. good. But um, <clears throat> in the meantime, we spent a lot of time talking about these things, and I became your apprentice. Um, and you also taught me how to do scarification um, by branding yourself, which was an interesting <laughs> experience. Um, but... We'll have to go into all these. Well, yeah, all these stories will come out. Some of these are good, yeah. Um, So when eventually I left piercing, and I haven't done scarification work in years, um, mostly because piercing is a terrible way to make a living. Um, Yeah, it did collapse for the 90s. Yeah. Um, And because I always knew I would want to run a business someday, I thought it would be more important to go run other people's businesses for a while. And to get that background and knowledge and then come back to running a piercing, tattooing studio of some kind in the future. Um, which you and I have been every studio I've ever worked at. Right. I mean, I I don't even know how many business plans I've written for body modification studios, but at at least I would say at least eight or nine, if not more. I mean, we've literally since the nineties sat down and been that why doesn't this work right? Why doesn't this work right? Why doesn't this work right? And one of the saddest things is is that even when it's dead obvious, people don't get it. You know? Right. But um, I kind of walked a bit away from anthropology, although it's always something that I'm, I'm always looking for interesting articles and statements, and I've been forming my own thoughts about it over the last 20 years. But I was not actively writing anything. Um, I think realistically, because I burned myself out writing my thesis which was four chapters of an encyclopedia of body modification um which realistically took about 12 hours a day of writing for the last two years of my college career um so recently i've started writing again um thank goodness thank goodness um but because i finally listened to my husband Oh yeah. Well, I, you know, just to clear the air, I'm not right on like eighty percent of the things, so it, she has a reason not to. <laughs> and uh, and and gave in to him training me to tattoo, um, starting in the fall of 2017. After 15 years of harassing me about it, and me going, I'm a photographer. I'm not an illustrator. I'm a photographer. I'm not an illustrator. I'm a photographer. I'm not an illustrator. I started drawing again, and uh, then he was like, Ha ha. That's it. Yes, you are. Um, So, um, and and just so we're clear, I mean, I know people who know us know this, but you didn't get given a tattoo apprenticeship. You worked your ass off for that. Yeah. Five six days a week, like you spent literally every moment we were at home. I just I'm saying this because it needs to be said. Hours and hours and hours of like, what are you doing? I'm tracing the letter A over and over again for three pages, small, so I get these loops perfect. Like, way more obsessed about the perfection of the art form than most people are. If you're going to make a career change at 40, you better you better get good real fast, in yes. my opinion. Um, and that was, I gave him six months. If he could make me reasonable, reasonably acceptable as a tattoo artist in six months, then I would make a career change. Yeah. I, I wasn't even questioning because after the first two months of what you were doing, I'm like, no, she's she's going to run through the gate with this. Right. But so 
So here I am, a tattoo artist. That's awesome. Um, and I have to say that it is a an incredible gift to be able to not only see in my own modifications how important and special changing your body is, but being able to facilitate that for other people, whether or not it is something that helps them remember a trip or something that helps them remember a loved one who's passed or, you know, that marks something very important or marks nothing in their mind that is important. Be a transition in life, might just be a mental transition. It is definitely not something I ever thought I would be a part of from that aspect. Um, I always figured that I would run the business, do all the businessy things, um, but actually being a part of it from the aspect of creating pieces for people that they can decorate their body with, that I decorate their body with, um, is uh, immensely fulfilling in a way that I didn't anticipate yeah um but also made me realize how much more of a spiritual calling it was than i kind of originally thought about it um so that is where i am right now there you go Uh, it's i like the i like it because it's people coming at it from different angles you know whenever we talk to body modification artists you tattoo artists piercers scarification artists they always have a this is how I got here. And one thing I have noticed is that there's definitely a pattern that human beings seem to have a calling to it. They have a primal urge to do this. The other thing that I've noticed is that people don't people don't understand what they're doing necessarily, and they think that some of it is modification and some of it isn't. And this is where we get into a different aspect of things because you actually can tell us the difference, right. whereas most people just have a vague guess. So... Because of what we're going to be doing with this podcast, I figured it would be very important to define terms. Um, And so there's a few different ways to look at body modification. The most obvious kind of definition is if you are changing your naked human body, it is body modification. Yeah. Flat. That is it. Like, if, if you are not naked as a jaybird... I don't know where that. I don't know where that is. I've never been a bird. (laughs) Make it as a baby. Um, Then you are modifying your body. Um, People don't. I think people don't understand that. Like they look at what we do, and they say that's body modification, but they're not applying it to themselves at all. Right. And maybe if they understood where the modification is happening, they would be more understanding of why you'd take an even deeper step. Right. So there's kind of three, there's three categories, generally speaking, although there's a few things that can fall into to different categories. Um, the first one is temporary. So temporary, pretty obvious. If you can wash it off, if it can go back to your natural body, if it is something that can be removed, um, it is temporary. That would include things like cosmetics, body paint, clothing, jewelry, um, wearing shoes. Um, yeah, and beyond, like, I, I think people are thinking, like, oh, so you mean, like, foot binding, which we'll talk about in a bit. 
but we're like, no, literally putting shoes on, mm-hmm. you're modified. Yeah. Like, it changes how you walk. I changes, think, yeah, yeah. wearing heels um, changes but, the way that your body is shaped. Absolutely. So it is a modification because you don't walk on your toes that high normally. Right. Um, I mean, cosmetics and body paint's pretty obvious, but clothing is a body modification. Right. There's clothing for different things. Um, and how we identify ourselves to our communities directs is directly related to the clothing that we wear. Right. So that is like the most basic kind of there. Everyone wears clothes, right? Even people in the jungle that pretty much don't wear clothes. They're wearing something. Right. No, and it's, it could be for a variety of different, you know, it, as you'll explain later, there's a core reason, but there's also many different socio Right, yeah. There's, there's more to it. But the first way that we change our bodies, or our parents really change our bodies, is by putting clothing right. on us. We see that with children. Yes. All the time, yeah. This, he's wearing this because he's this, or she's wearing that because it's that, or it's this color, or it's that color, it has to be this item, or it's dressed this way. And it's like, yeah, that's a modification. Otherwise, yeah. you just see that person as a person. All right, so the second category is long-term or semi-permanent but reversible. So it may return to close to its original form. It may fade. It could change back. So hair cutting and hair dyeing, those are like the most common things that we do um, in our culture con- contemporarily. Um, we all get our hair cut some some more often than not many people dye their hair that's pretty common also like skin dyeing um that would be like henna um there's another dye out there that's blacker it's some kind of a nut from south america and i cannot remember it but that also it it lasts a few weeks um it's much more it's longer term in that you can't wash it right off um but it isn't permanent um remember people being confused about what that is you know and still to this day like what is that and like it's a dye like it's a it's dyeing your skin yeah and it's going to take time to your skin cells are going to be permanently that color but it's just the top layer right (laughs) and when they wash when they slough off no more dye um piercing would be considered in this category because with few exceptions right Um, when you start stretching yeah um you can take the jewelry out and the the hole will mostly close or completely close depending on how you heal how long you've had the jewelry um that concept i get a mm -hmm. it always drive it it does drive me a little nuts just because i you know started body piercing in the golden age of body piercing to hear people not understand the difference between stretching and gauging a gauge is a unit of measurement, oh, a stretch yeah. is a stretch, but people, for some reason, it became a pop culture thing mm-hmm. that would just call it gauging or gauges. Right, yeah. Like, but at the same time, you don't have the language for it, or you don't understand what you're seeing, and you hear somebody use a term, and you go, okay, that's the term, which is fine. But when we're talking about piercing, we're talking about something that's not really stretched. You have somebody's ears pierced, they take the earring out, the hole eventually closes, and some people, you can't even tell, you know? Right, right. Um... Things like tight lacing or corseting is body modification that is reversible to some degree, depending on how extremely you do it. Um, If you're moving internal things around, sometimes they won't quite go back. Quite go back. Um, But you can return to mostly a normal 
form. That um, was the body modification when I got into the piercing industry that I didn't know people did that still. That oh, was completely... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you've talked about like the group, the Ibito waist belt or mm-hmm. whatnot. And of course, if you look in modern primitives, you'll see Fakir doing it. Um, but I didn't know that that was a modification, not only one, that people still did, but two, that men did. Oh, I yeah, had no yeah, idea. Yeah. Never in society was corseting something that I was familiar with. Mm-hmm. So to see it, not only see women do it, but see men do it. And then there are tribes that actually do this in a very extreme fashion. Oh, yeah. It's wildly very impressive. fascinating stuff. Um, but it can be re- it can be reversed. Oh, um, bodybuilding is another one. Holy a lot of people shit. don't think of bodybuilding as body modification, but it most certainly is. Oh, it's is. definitely modification. Especially when you get into the more extreme versions of it where um, people are almost unable to move properly for the volume of their muscle. Right. Um, I think about muscle and fitness magazine, stuff like that. Joe Weider's publication. Yeah, right. You know, and you as a kid, especially growing up when we did, bodybuilding was becoming more and more popular all the time. It's not like it was a new thing. Right. But it really became mainstream in the 70s and 80s. So to see these human beings, uh, I think, you know, for females, Corey Everson was one that all the time. And just look at it, this person and go, that's how a human being can look? <laughs> that's how does that work? Right. Like, and people to this day still have these nonsense ideas about it's just a pill, it's just an injection. I'm like, no, it's it's a lifetime of hard work to get yeah, to that point. Sure. You know, We tattoo bodybuilders and strength athletes, and you hear about their regiments, and you're like, no, there's no totally. way I'm doing that. Yep, absolutely. But it is. It's a drastic, drastic modification. It's, it's wild. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then tattooing and scarification, to some degree, fall into this category. Um, scarification, because some people don't really scar when you do scarification. Yours truly. <laughs> um, you We're know. totally different. T ends up with very large keloided scars, yeah. and I've been branded now five times, six times, and I don't develop scar tissue that way. Yeah. It's, so it's very flat, they're barely noticeable. So, you know, once, once you're cutting or branding heels, depending on who you are and what your genetics are, it may or may not show up. So in that way, it is reversible, um, though it is permanent because that tissue will never be the same. Right. Um, tattooing, now we have laser removal, so you can go back to almost completely normal skin, I think, right. um, depending on what you have. So it is reversible, but it is permanent as well. Um, right. So that's kind of in that shadow world of... Um, it's like an in-between place yeah. almost. Yeah. And then finally you have permanent or irreversible. Um, it cannot be changed. Once it is done, um, it cannot be returned to the original or even close to the original form. This would be plastic surgery. Once you're surgically modifying the body in any way, shape, or form, it's never going to be the same as it was. Um, and that can be like more or less extreme but it is nonetheless permanent you can get more plastic surgery to cover or change what you did but you're still just adding more permanent things on top of other permanent things right i'm sure the plastic surgeons will tell you they can only do so many alterations before the blood flow doesn't work right for sure um you have dental alteration which um you have very extreme forms of that in um pre-industrial groups that um file their teeth um it hurts just thinking about it oh yeah it makes me want to throw up oh. actually, but, um but there's a lot of things you can do to your teeth to alter them but even now people get um 
different kinds of implants. So if you have problem teeth, you have implants, that's a body modification. Yep. It's more a functional body modification, but it is what it is. Um, or you can decorate your teeth with like caps oh, and gold and gemstones and all, all that kind of, things, yeah. there's, a, there's a local dentist that does tooth gems now, which is amazing to me. Yep. That is like such a crazy, like now it is that common that people would want it. Wild. You know? Yeah, I mean, I have nothing against it. I, I, no, it's, it's just, wild. it's fascinating to see also what becomes socially acceptable over time. Right. Um, and um, that's another thing that I'm obsessed with. And I'd be with. lying if I didn't say I enjoyed when it becomes more socially acceptable. Because I get to see more human Decorated, plumage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Decorated folks. Um, and then you have things like foot binding, which <laughs> we don't do. It, very small time in history was foot binding really a big thing thing that was um, mostly in, in china in, Asia, in a yeah. particular time period um but you you can get it un unwittingly uh, um as jay has yeah I was, uh, <laughs> I was put in shoes that were way too small for me uh we didn't have a lot of money and so shoes were worn that probably should have been you know they should have been bigger and i should have gotten them more often so my feet are misshape and they're crunched up very small yeah. it's it's interesting i got Definitely. little hobbit feet <laughs> yeah yeah um and then obviously amputation and there oh, yeah. there's amputation for medical reasons still modification but um a necessary one um but there's people that amputate parts of their bodies for more spiritual or decorative purposes as well um so that you have you know, the most common things are like cutting off fingers or joints of fingers, and that's more associated with mm-hmm. um, uh, the criminal, oh, organized, yeah. you know, crime kind of or area even, of the world. Um, but people do it for other reasons as well that are more spiritual. Um, you can actually see it throughout, you know, I, I think of North, <coughs> Norse mythology and uh, where a god loses a limb and then becomes more powerful, mm-hmm. you know. Bran himself, you know... Talking bar- head. He's a talking head, you know, but he's buried in England, so as long as his head's there, you can't take England. Right, right. Like, well, what's the head going to do? Right, like, it's right. I can't and, explain that to And you. those kind of myths are kind of throughout history, so there is yeah. some... Uh, there is a reason, I'm sure, that oh, yeah. we have these interests. Um, well, I'm trying to think of one <laughs> tradition on Earth that doesn't at some point have their deities or their lesser deities being modified, changed, yeah. having permanent marks put on them, it's an essential component. Yep, absolutely. And that is one of the reasons it's so fascinating. Um, and one of the reasons I'm obsessed with it. <clears throat> I have to ask this question, though. We're, we're doing the different categories. You know, we've got we've got the, you know, your basics. You get temporary, long-term, semi-permanent. I'm going to screw all these up just so anybody listening because I'm not <laughs> Permanent or reversible. Why... What's the importance of distinguishing between these things? Well, I think in the grand scheme of things, um, because we are the only animal on the face of the planet that modifies ourselves um, consciously. um, Right. It's important to distinguish because there's very different reasons that you would do temporary modifications versus semi-permanent versus permanent. And this... We'll get into talking about a lot in in later episodes, but think about um, a temporary modification could be temporary because um, 
it is associated with a temporary state. So if it's your wedding day, if you're from India and it's your wedding day, mm. the importance of what you're wearing, what everyone is wearing at this event, is incredibly high. It's a, it's a very sacred um, process. The ritual associated with it is very in-depth and very there are so many details. Um, having um, henna put on hands and feet for the bride is an incredibly important ritual. Um, and that and then also the makeup and the jewels and the dress and all of those things, it represents a temporary state of being. Mm-hmm. You are the most important thing that is going on at the moment right this minute yes um you could even like looking at a baptism um you know babies being baptized in any church are given particular gowns to wear um they have a particular you know mark made on their forehead there's particular things associated with that ritual they are special and part of this very liminal space for the time that they are decorated in this way. If you look at tribes across the world, when you have rites of passage, the there is how you are decorated for that event and then what happens to you at that event. Those are not the same things. Oh, yeah, no doubt. So marking the body as... Um, or the person as important in this space at this moment in time with these particular decorations is very important. But it also, temporary markings, mark the least important things. What you put on every day. That's temporary. Is temporary. And most people don't necessarily think about what they're wearing, other than maybe that it's functional. Um, so that's not an important thing in, in terms of the bigger bigger picture um it more the more permanent the decoration the more it relates to a more sacred part of ourselves or a more important part of our identity if you're tattooing something on yourself it's because it's that much more important if you could just stick a sticker on yourself and it would last for a week that's not terribly important right Unless you're four. Well, that's also when you were talking about. You know, let me go back to weddings just for a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're talking about the practices of weddings in India, and I think I my brain goes back to the practices of weddings. Yeah, they still kind of happen here, but like like the 40s or 50s, there yeah. are rigid codes of how things work. Absolutely. And someone would look at these two things and go, "Oh, they're both weddings. What's the difference going on here? Like, ah, there is a difference." And those are the those are the different traditional cultural elements, the different signals. You know, in India, right. you would not wear white to a wedding because only corpses are white. In a, in you know European right, right, culture, right. you'd wear white as a symbol of purity. But then I think of like when you're talking about baptisms, like so. I you know when I was younger, I was baptized. You know, I, I understand the whole process. In certain traditions, it is a permanent thing. You know, you're getting circumcised at that point right. because that is a permanent mark. Right. Now most of us kind of have started to understand the concept that you wouldn't cut a baby's foreskin other than for religious reasons. There's no real health benefit at all. It's actually kind of destructive. But that is part of somebody's tradition. That's right. a, that's a permanent mark. That yeah. Versus you're going to put on white for this. You might have but, a mark on the head. But in, in that... Um it, especially looking at Judaism, which is 
the religion that is most closely associated with circumcision from mm-hmm. a religious perspective. Once you are Jewish, you are not ever going to not be Jewish. And that's one of the, you know, once you your, your parents have made a choice for you mm. that you are going to be circumcised because that is part of their faith process. Right. Um, and you will never not be that. Even if you don't practice, you, the way that they think about it is you will never not be right. that. Um, so it does, like that is a permanent fixture in your, in your life. Which, yeah. yeah. Although, I mean, at some other point we can go into uh, right, well. the, why, why circumcision and stuff like the work of Dr. Leonard Schlein and whatnot. But it, it's, I don't know, all these things are yeah. just fascinating. No, it's, it is. So it is important to think about modification in terms of permanence because the more permanent, the more important in many, mm. many, many situations. Or the more um, associated it is with the long-term aspects of our identities um, where temporary things relate to temporary states of being. Right, that's true. So that's why I always want to talk about that stuff. The other thing I think is, I just, I, I know we're going to go into this in the yeah. future, but one of the things that gets me is the difference in how permanent is uh, a modification of the body, uh, how permanent it is versus whether or not that's good or bad. Mm-hmm. So in most countries that are not European, in, in up until recent time, permanent modification doesn't carry a negative connotation to it. However, in European society, especially in America, we have a lot of examples of permanent modification being a punishment. Yeah, You know, absolutely. somebody who steals gets the palm of their hand burned, you know, back in the Puritan times. Or their hand cut off. Or their hand cut off. You know, I'm thinking of semi-permanent, you know, uh, the scarlet letter where you're first to, forced to wear an A mm-hmm. embroidered on your cloak to let everyone know you're an adulterer yeah, or adulteress. Um, but we've had this, you know, permanent injury is negative. And I feel like in our lifetimes, we've watched that really turn. Oh, yeah. And even more so now where you have people that are permanently modified through an experience that may not have been positive. And I'm thinking about, you know, our military who (laughs) now have such high levels of amputation. It's people are surviving wounds that normally would kill them, but they're ended up permanently modified. And then we have to readdress this like, oh, you're not you're like when I was growing up, you had to take your meds for hemophilia, even if they could possibly kill you because you didn't want to end up as quote unquote a cripple we don't use that word anymore and or at least most of us don't right and when i use it people go oh like no no i'm talking about experiences but we had to change our ideas of this because if you're missing a limb you're not it's not like a necessarily a negative it's like you did something valorous and in the process got injured it changed how we see people and it's kind of one of those dirty secret ways that we look at modification sometimes when it's permanent is that growing up you'd feel empathy or sadness i had a my uncle john had a friend who his name was gene we called him screaming gene he was a vietnam vet and he lost his leg in vietnam and uh he used to pop the leg off just to screw with people because he knew it was, you know, people thought it was a little garish or they'd <laughs> freak him out. Nowadays, I think a lot of people I talk to, they'll see somebody who's amputated, who has an amputation and goes, oh my God, that person's military. Like, well, they, they might be, but the idea of what it is, it's not, it's still sympathy, it's still empathy, but there's something else to it. You've been <laughs> modified because you did something that I myself didn't step up to the plate or I stepped up to the plate and I didn't suffer it, but you did and I'm in awe of the fact that you push forward so it's more of a testament to strength at that point yeah. 
But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I love to throw that idea around just because just seeing it in my lifetime well, changed. There's, there's also a difference between uh, modifications that you intentionally do right. and modifications that were done to you, either against your will or because of medical issues. And, and that even changes. And you have to look at things a little bit differently at that point, too. And, I think and we can we can dig into it a little bit more. Um, I, I just want to, I, I think about that and I think about, you know, as somebody who spent a lot of time in crutches and a wheelchair, I noticed a lot more when somebody could or couldn't do something. We'll go into this in the future because there are, there's a teacher from oh, yeah. sixth grade that fits into my mind in comparison to this, um, my uncle's friend, Gene. But you see modification and I think, you know, when we were growing up, you didn't see it. You didn't see modification as much not consciously. Now we see it more, and maybe that's people coming to their own and owning their own bodies and realizing right, they have sure. that. And because of that, we can make new decisions about what type of modifications we want and whether or not they're permanent, uh, and to what extent we want to explore them. But that, that's it's wild just to live in this point in time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely certainly more socially acceptable in many ways. Um, so... so <laughs> you owe me a kiss. Wrapping up. There we go. Um, what What is this podcast going to be about? That is, I'm sure everyone is wondering. Oh, geez, we've only been talking about this um, for years. So, yeah, we have, we have been talking about doing yes. this for many years. And yep. I think um, there's a lot of people talking about tattoos, piercings, all that kind of stuff. There's quite a number of podcasts out there that talk about such things. Um, and I think a lot of them talk about it from uh, a much different perspective than we always think about it. Yeah. Um, from my anthropological background and the fact that I love to understand why people do things, how they do things, what is going on in their brains or their subconscious or their deep inner selves. Um, how that relates to cultures that go back 10,000 years. Um, that is always what I want to talk about. I think we are in an interesting time where we have so much access to so much knowledge. We, have, we can, in a heartbeat, research anything across the world, understand, and I use that term loosely, uh, other cultures, uh, see other practices, and I think... Because we have that access, a lot of people are doing things without understanding why someone would do this. And they don't understand, you've pointed this out, that it's not <clears throat> just the influence of society. This is part of our evolution. Well, yeah, we and we're going we're gonna to talk right, about that. Go and that. that's really kind of what I'm obsessed with at the mo- this particular moment in time, is that I really believe that changing your body is part of our evolution and that there is something much deeper um, in our DNA about why we would do such a thing um, and why it's important for us to, number one, recognize it, and number two, to participate in that consciously. That's the key, right, is the conscious understanding of what you're doing. Right, because I think there is so much more power in understanding what you're doing than um, Just just... doing it because it feels right, um, which is totally valid. But I think the more information people have, the better decisions they can make for themselves. The more they understand 
the drive, um, the drive to pierce my lip at 16 was inexplicable to me at the time. And everybody I was around was like, why the hell would you stick a needle in your lip? And I didn't really know. Mm. Um, and keep in mind the conversation I had with my pediatrician, and my parents, right, exactly. Like, like why, why uh. would you do such a thing? I don't, I have no idea. I just felt that that was very important to do at this moment in time, looking more deeply into that from a historical, cultural, anthropological, sociological perspective, spiritual perspective, I think number one is fascinating, but number two, I think it's important for people to have access to that information. And realistically, anthropology texts are boring as shit. <laughs> that's, that's, um, that's I mean, having spent four years plus, you know, four years solid in college, only reading anthropology, and now, you know, I read it you know, in this small amounts of spare time that I have, um, it is, it is not fun to read. Um, so I feel like if we can have a conversation about it and dig into it and talk and relate it to kind of what's going on now, what contemporary practices are, what we personally see with our clients and our friends and in the greater world of body modification, I think it allows more people to access that information and and use it to their own advantage so that's my no, goal i think that's um but the concept of the unfinished body is such a per- pervasive idea um it really i think is important to explore a little bit more how that relates to our contemporary practices and and how throughout history his Things have, you know, changed the course of history over time. Like how in one culture, certain practices are totally acceptable and why they would maybe become completely unacceptable later within the same culture. Right. Um, so what is your thought on... What, what, is there anything else that you want to bring up that I, I you are so interested much, in talking about? There's so about? much that, that we want to talk about and specifically the dedicating of not just not just performing the act mm-hmm. because you know we, we've talked about this many times I, I think I go back to thinking about like the Oracle of Delphi and and uh, this idea of knowing thyself you know yeah the most important thing I think we can do in this life is to try to understand what and who we are because without that understanding you can't process the rest of the world true it's too often in my opinion this situation where people adopt things it could be uh, certain types of body modification. It could be a specific spiritual practice. And then they have their preconceived notions about it and they amplify them. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make them understand themselves better. They just become a more amplified version of whatever they were. You know, we see this in, we see this especially in the occult circles where somebody wants power. So they just want to build themselves up to be more powerful. I'm like, but you didn't understand yourself. You know, you can be covered in tattoos and not have understood the ritual and the purpose behind the ritual of getting them. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about that all the time. So I would like to see us delve into these things as I know we're going to, so that maybe people start asking better questions about why they do things, they make better decisions when they do these things, and they put more intention and understanding. You know, I think of it as kind of like weird monkey behavior that <laughs> people pick up objects that think think are special because other monkeys think they're special right. and then they hold it up. That's basic primate behavior. I see that. I saw it back in the day getting into tattooing where people would come in and pick something off a wall. Right. Like how, 
not to be an ass, but how does that show what you're trying to, that's just a cool picture. You like it. And you looked at all the pictures on the wall and you said, well, this is the one that most is like me, but that's not a good way to choose. And now people do it with like Pinterest and stuff like that. How do you get people to understand the importance, the depth, the, the conscious decision and why you'd even do it to modify self? And as we go into that, I think, I hope that will get people thinking about these subjects deeper and more profoundly. Anyone can pick some doodad to stick on themselves. Absolutely. You know, what are you really? What do you want to be? What are you trying to say? What does your soul want out of this experience? Yeah. And we have to nurture that. And if you don't try to dig into it, if you don't try to understand, it's all surface, which is fine if that's all you want. But I think a lot of us want something much deeper. Absolutely agreed. And also, I think being conscious of what you're doing to yourself and the reasons why you might be doing it gives more power to it. Even if it is just for decoration, I, there are some absolutely gorgeous tattoos that have no meaning to them, but they are beautiful. And it is the experience that is the important part, not the actual image. So understanding. Cause we've got it backwards right now. It's the image, but it's not, it's but the it's, experience. And it's, it's both yeah, equally. Um, but understanding that it's okay, that like the image doesn't have to mean anything. Right. But understand that what you're doing to yourself experientially will have an impact to you and you the le- rest of your life. That's true. Um, tattoos, piercings, scarification, any of that kind of stuff is transformational. And understanding why you're doing it and how it's transformational, I think, is really important. So I'm really excited to talk a bit more about that, which we hopefully will in the next episode. I'm looking forward to it. Never has there been a people on earth willing to make do with what comes naturally. Like a rough hewn stone, the body has been perceived as unfinished, in want of carving, incising, refining, and realignment that would make of it a thing of beauty and joy forever. What nature had been able only to begin, the human hand would bring to perfection, would complete. Olivia Vlahos, body, the ultimate symbol.